Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to each of you. I wonder if we could just pause for a moment and look out at this beautiful snow, the calmness of it, the beauty of it, the grace of it. It's quite possible that that will be the best sermon you hear today. Jesus, we pray that you'd open our eyes so that we can see. Pray that you open our ears so we could hear. Pray that you open our mind and our hearts so we can see. So I'll turn to you and live. Amen. When we lived in Denver, I have to tell you, uh, we went to a church that met in a little chapel basically up in Golden, up in the mountains. And uh, behind the, the platform where the pastor was speaking and the table was and everything, there was these big windows. And, um, and it was looking out into the mountains. And it was, it was for me a con- congruency of space and um, gospel and community and we actually went to a Sunday evening service I mean Saturday evening service and it was just leisurely and no one was in a hurry and uh, it usually met early enough so that you could see outside and half the time I was listening to the preacher and half the time I was watching the beauty and uh, I think that was exactly right um, and I probably will never get a chance to participate you know thank God probably, but participate in any kind of building a building. But if I did, there would be lots of windows and there would be lots of light. <laughs> um, no, uh, no studios uh, for me. I need lots of light. And uh, so if you need to just look out there, then you, you could do a lot worse than that. But during Epiphany, uh, we want to talk about baptism. We started that last week. And I want to return to the, to the scripture we read last week of Jesus' own baptism. Luke tells us that, that John the Baptist is in the, in the Jordan River. And as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one is coming even more powerful than I. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, 
I'm well pleased. So throngs of people were flocking to John the Baptist, who's standing in the middle of the Jordan River, and they're coming because there's something about his words, there's something about his way, something about his message which is compelling them to come and listen to this man in the wild. And John preached that God's kingdom was upon them and that it was time for Israel to repent of their old life, to step into their new life as God's people. And John called all the people into this new life by being baptized in the Jordan. And it matters, actually, that they were baptized in the Jordan. It was across the Jordan where Israel, in the exodus from Egypt, had walked through the waters of death into God's bright new life for them. And that story is told to us in Joshua 3 and 4. As they were leaving Egypt, or before they left Egypt, actually, Israel had no possibilities. They had no future. The repressive and violent empire of Egypt had gobbled up their history, had crushed their future, and they had no hope. But then God sent Moses to them, and God began to lead them out of Egypt. And they traveled through the wilderness for years, trying to get back home. They had no future other than whatever future God was going to give to them. Israel was in every way dependent on God. And Joshua tells us that the Ark of the Covenant would go in front of the people, the Ark that represented God's presence with them, and the priests would carry, carry the Ark. And Joshua gives them these instructions. He says, take the Ark and lead the people with the Ark so you would know what way you should go because you've never been this way before. And then they travel following the ark up to the edge of the great Jordan River. And I love these instructions from God to the people when God said, and when you come to the edge of the Jordan, you must stand still there and wait. And of course you wonder, well, well what else are they going to do when you're on foot and you're in front of a massive body of water and you need to go to the other side to get where you're going, what else are you gonna do besides stand and wait? To baptize means to be dipped into, to immerse, to sink, to drown. Baptism is, if nothing else, an admission that our life depends on God. We don't come into a baptism holding on to our life. We die. We drown. Like Israel, we step into those waters knowing that if God does not rescue us, then we are goners. We know that we're desperate. We know that we need God. We know that we need help. We know that the best we can do simply will never be enough. We surrender our life to God, and we trust that God will rescue us. Now, this obviously is in contrast to most everything we're taught. 
It's in contrast to all of our education, to our American idealism, to the messages we receive from both family and work. Take care of yourself. Prove your worth. Don't bother anyone else with your troubles. Make it on your own. Be the very best you. But baptism tells us the truth. That if God doesn't save us, we're ruined. If we don't think that we really need God, then the truth is we're probably not ready just yet for baptism. Most of my life in any of my places of spiritual despair, the places that really trip me up, the fears that sometimes really back me into a corner, as I review those places in my life, in almost every case, what's required for me is to surrender the illusion that I control my life. It's to surrender the idea that I can manage my life on my own. If I want to be crass about it, it's to surrender the idea, though I probably am too Christian-y to use these terms, but it's to surrender the idea that I actually don't need God all that much. And Joshua says that whenever they reached the Jordan, they came at the time when the waters overflowed because it was harvest time. Often the game is arranged so that when we need God to act, we are in our most desperate situation. It annoys me to no end how Miska often says that much of life seems like a divine setup. So there Israel was. They stood at the edge of the water and they waited. And then when God said to, the priest went over and dip their toe in the water. I, just, I love that image, dip. It's just like, I don't know, this is kind of crazy. They carried the ark with them and they dipped their toe in the water. And the scripture says that the waters above stopped flowing and they walked across on dry ground. But now, in Luke, here the people were at the Jordan again. Here they were about to go into the water again. Here they were in need of God's fresh action again. This moment of baptism was, for all who were gathered there, a new exodus. A new journey into the bowels of death where their old self would die and their new self, their new future, their new possibility would rise again and come out of those swirling waters where they would rise again into the bright life, life that God had prepared for them. What God had done for Israel, God was going to do again now for Israel, but not for Israel only, for the entire world in Jesus. Baptism is not merely about our personal decision to follow God, though it absolutely is that. It's also about our entrance into a long history of God rescuing his people and rescuing the world. This is why Jesus, right before he returned to the Father, would leave his disciples with the instructions to go and make disciples of Jesus among all of the nations. 
teaching all the people everything that Jesus had taught them and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It wasn't only because it was some sort of strange rite that they needed to pass through. It was because baptism itself was the way that the people entered the story. It was the way that they acknowledged that God was rescuing them just like they had rescued, God had rescued Israel. But it raises a question for us, or at least it should, why would Jesus be baptized? He didn't sin, he was the son of God. Why was baptism necessary? Well, Jesus was baptized because Jesus had a body because Jesus was human. Jesus was fully with us in every way. Jesus is buried into the death that we experience and Jesus is raised out of the graves that all of us know. I love how that Luke didn't give us just a theological treatise on how Jesus identifies with all of us. Instead, Luke tells us the story of how Jesus went down into the waters of Jordan and was buried in those murky waters and how John the Baptist raised him out of it. I love the way Robert Brearley puts this. Jesus simply got in line with everyone who had been broken by the wear and tear of this selfish world and had all but given up on themselves and their God. When the line of downtrodden and sin-sick people formed in hopes of new beginnings through a return to God, Jesus joined them. It matters that this baptism happened at the Jordan, but I want us to hear something else, and I'm, I'm not sure that I know how to say this, so I'm going to give it my best shot. It matters that it was bodies going into the water. Arms, skinny legs, balding heads, cute little children. That it was human bodies going into physical water. I shared with some of you guys, I didn't say it last Sunday, uh, but I was pretty excited last Sunday because on Saturday night, well, some of y'all may know that our family has two football teams that we are loyal to, and it's the Baylor Bears and the Clemson Tigers. And my uh, uh, sons cheer for them some too. We also have some UVA um, blood in our house as well. Um, but if you follow college football, Clemson was in the national championship Monday night against Alabama. And Saturday night, I just had this crazy harebrained idea. I was like, how often are you going to chance to see your team play in the national championship? And I looked at ticket prices like a week earlier, and it was just absolutely outrageous. And I looked at ticket prices Saturday night, and they were only tiny, tiny outrageous. <laughs> and and uh, then a friend told me, you know, you can fly into Vegas pretty cheap, and you can get a rental car, which I did for $39. And uh, you can go to this game. And so at like 11 o'clock Saturday night, I, uh, I made the decision, bought tickets, rented, rented this car, you know, airline flight. I woke the boys up early Sunday morning and said, hey guys, this was an awesome dad moment. Hey guys, I really need y'all to go ahead and get up early. Um, so I need you to pack a bag because we're actually going to the national championship after church on Sunday. And they're like, what, what? It was fantastic, you know? Um, so we do this crazy thing going to Vegas, which, you know, yeah, 
what a crazy place that is. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot about that that was actually quite foolish, if I'm really honest about it. We didn't have that in our budget. Um, that's not the sort of thing we would normally do. Um, but there was something in that moment, and, you know, it's a personal thing, but I just, I had this strong desire that I wanted my sons to know that I loved them. And I would do something crazy. I'm a little bit of a tightwad, you know? Um, that I would do something crazy just for time with them. They had this magical experience. How often do you get a chance to do something that feels magical with people that you love? My sons don't just need me to explain to them the concept of love. They need to encounter in their life and in their bodies their father's love for them. Baptism is like that. Baptism is these moments where in our body, in ways that our mind can't perhaps comprehend, we encounter the love of God, the welcome of God, the new life God offers. Our worship is bodily. We actually gather here, not just in a digital world. We gather in a room with sometimes obnoxiously long aisles, and, and we, we come here together to bring our bodies and our voices together. That's why, at least for me personally, I, I don't think I could ever pastor a church where you did the, the satellite video stuff. I, I mean, I, I don't even, I can't, I'm not against it, I don't think. I, I just don't, I don't even understand it. I mean, I have to be in a room with people, and I have to hear their laughter and their sneezes and hear the children making noise and be there in bodies next to one another. It's why we've begun at our call to worship to stand up, because it matters. There's something about acknowledging that God is present with us, and when our bodies begin to move, something happens or can happen within us. It's reasons that we sing and we pray with our voices. It's reasons that we, we kneel when we're able in confession. It's reasons why we actually put our hands out in blessing. It's reasons why we speak to one another words of peace because Jesus spoke words and we need to hear words. It's reasons why we embrace one another when we can. It's reasons why we step up to this table and we eat actual bread and we drink actual wine is because these are ways that we actually taste grace. And these things aren't only symbols of something else. They themselves represent to us something about the reality of God in this physical moment. And when we come to this table, this isn't even just about ourselves. It's about we are joined together with a community around the world, physically, actual people. And it also means that we, are, we remember at this table that God, it's some, it matters that it's actual wheat, and it's grapes that come from, from vines that, that, that are carried to this table because at this table we recognize that God actually heals the elements of this world. It's why some of us, I've been asked for several people, why do you mark yourself with the sign of the cross? It's because I need a physical way of remembering that the cross of Jesus Christ marks my life. 
It's actual water that we are buried in. And it's out of water that we are raised up. I hope you can hear this. Personal belief in Jesus, what we believe in our mind is important. It's crucial. But there are, there are other ways to believe than not only with your mind. You can also believe with your body. Sometimes we need to enact our faith and let our feelings catch up. We don't have to understand everything all the time. That's actual, actually quite a terrible burden that modernity has laid upon us. We are very committed to being authentic. I think that's generally, generally a good thing. But sometimes authenticity has come to mean I have to be true out here to everything that I feel in here. You know that bumper sticker, you know, don't pay attention to all your feelings. I mean, some things that I feel are ridiculous. <laughs> I told you that I struggle a lot with fear and have for about the last decade. One thing that's been a grace in that is I've had to learn that just because I think it doesn't make it so. Just because I feel it doesn't mean it's true. It doesn't mean that we ignore our feelings. They're really important, but they're not the whole game. Are any of you married? Do you always feel it? Are there days where you enact love because you know you believe it at a deeper place than what you feel? Any of you have friendships? Are there times where you enact sacrificial love, giving in a friendship, not because all the warm fuzzies are there, but because you know deep in your heart that you are committed to something at a deeper level? Any of us have kids? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Do you always feel like you love them? Are there days when you want to take their little head like a pop top and pop it off? But most of us don't. And why? Because deep in our hearts, we know we believe something else. In baptism, it's traditional to mark the forehead of someone with the sign of the cross and to say, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked by Christ forever. There are days when I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And there's times where I really need to grapple logically with some things. That's, that's true. There's other times where I need someone to point to me and say, but you were baptized. Something happened. You went into the water. And God has made a promise. And some of us, you know, in our sort of modern mindset, like, oh, that's not good enough. I, I have to. I mean, some days it is. It's probably not good enough forever, but some days it is. And so sometimes we come to worship here and we say, oh, I don't know if I feel it. Well, part of the pastoral response, that's well, fine. I mean, do what you're able. I mean, it's okay. There's no rules here. I mean, you don't, you're not going to get 
thrown out of the building because you don't participate in something. Participate in what you're able. But there's something else that I actually want to push into sometimes and say, it really doesn't matter what you feel. Do it anyway. Because those things that we give ourselves to, those things that we commit ourselves to, they begin to form what is truest in us. And I have to do it in most areas of my life. I don't know why God would be any different. But we believe in our hearts that God has acted on our behalf in Jesus. And in baptism is one of those crucial places that we are embraced in our bodies by the love of God. And it's true. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.